Manor. Hello, welcome to Tet Manor podcast. We are back yet again with yet another BBC Oxford special as we conclude, I think what we should refer to as the trio of truth by being joined by uh, Nick Harris. Hello, Nick. How's Hi it there. going? Fire, the trio of truth. I like that very much. Yeah, it's, go- <laughs> it's going good, I think. Like everybody else, you miss your football or miss the, the the friendship that football brings, and when you support a club and everything that that surrounds it, it, it you miss it so much, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. How have you been keeping busy? Yeah, I've been busy. I, I've, I've got quite a lot of things to write. I've been getting very fit, a lot of running. Nice. Uh, so I, I've had quite a lot of work on more than on the football, on, on the on the motor GP and that side of things. So I haven't been uh, really quiet, and I think that's important as well. Got to keep your mind ticking over a little bit, haven't you? Yeah, 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 for sure. We, we've also got some of the Tip Manor regulars with us. We got oh, right. who, have we, who have we got? We've got John. Hello, John. Hi, John. Hi, Nick. Hi, James. How are you? Very good. Very good. What have you been doing to keep yourself busy? I'm still in the days blurring, blurring by, actually. I'm, I'm doing a bit of writing, actually, trying to, trying to up that sort of thing. But, yeah, still in um, not what day of the week is it mode, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, We've got Jack as well. Jack, have you come up with any creative kind of hobbies as of yet? Uh, no, but I'm an absolute pro at mowing the grass now. So uh, I think <laughs> yeah. that's a skill that can go on a CV for when we're all out of this. I've realised it's a sad reality when that's actually like a treat. I think yeah. I might have said that before, but it's like I kind of watch it grow. So I'm like, oh, in a couple of days, yeah, I'm coming for yeah, you. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm looking out of the window now thinking Friday morning. Diarise <laughs> <laughs> <rise> it in. <laughs> yeah. Ben, Ben, what about you? Have you got a, a garden with your new house? Uh, I do have a garden. Sadly, no lawn. So no, I can't even uh-huh. have that to look forward to. But uh, I'm definitely making the most of having a garden again now after about eight or nine years of living in a flat and uh, just enjoying all the decent weather we've had over the last three or four weeks. I mean, surely you could at least pressure wash something. Uh, I think like, that's a pressure washer is on the list, as is fence paint. Oh, oh. Ex- exciting. <laughs> yeah. living Very exciting. Living the dream. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, Nick, as this is your debut Tip Matter podcast oh, appearance, right. we've got to start with some traditional questions that we like to ask everybody when they first come on. So starting right, right, right back at the beginning, where were you actually brought up? I think the, lis- the listeners need to know. Right, I was brought up in Oxford, so uh, that was a, that was a pretty good start. That's a good uh, answer. Uh, well, yeah, my uh, <laughs> my my dad was a, an avid uh, rugby and cricket follower, so my my early years were spent watching Oxford University play rugby and going to the parks to watch cricket. While I was watching at Ifley Road, the rugby, I used to hear a noise across the river and wonder what it was. I was told it was Oxford City. At the White House ground playing football. Uh, yeah. One day, my uh, great friend's dad took us to watch Oxford City, and to be honest, I was hooked uh, on football. And uh, Oxford City then. Uh, all my school friends and I watched Oxford City. Jim Rosenthal and lots of others. But then they all went up the hill to watch the uh, the boys that were spending all the money heading to United, as it was <laughs> then. And I stayed alone at Oxford City. But in the end, I got a bit fed up going to football on my own, watching Oxford City. And they did persuade me, I think it was 1961, to go to the Manor for the first time. And that was the end wow. of the story. That was the end what, of the story. <laughs> yeah. What um, did they used to play 
the it was kind of Marston, wasn't it, next to the ring road? Uh, was, no, Ox- Oxford City played at the White House ground, which was wow, where was that? Down the Abingdon Road. Uh, ah. Yeah, there's, the the pub is still there, the White House pub, uh, just after Folly Bridge on the right hand side. It was a lovely yeah, football yeah. ground with a with it overlooked by a church. And it, when I was growing up, Oxford City were the much bigger of the two football clubs. Headington wow. United, where the the the, the was splashing the cash a little bit and bringing players in, but Oxford City were the traditional. Isthmian League side, very high standard, some very good players, and Oxford City, where where the bigger club, and uh, United gradually uh, gradually uh, overtook them, took some of their players as well, and uh, yeah, the the, the whole wow. thing divided. Every day's a school day, isn't it, chaps? Yeah. I had no idea about any of that. Yeah. So there you go. That when they ended up moving to the ground near Marston, that was technically much closer to where I grew up than um, Oxford United. So. I had to, you know, by then I was... Well, yeah, sold. I mean, City, to, to their credit, <laughs> they played at Cutslow Park for a year, didn't they, when they yeah. lost the White House ground? I mean, they, they were from the ashes. They had risen to an incredible football club, yeah. My, my house backed on to Cutslow Park. Oh, so really? How, yeah. Ah, many a um, game of football at Cutslow Park. I <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what was your kind of earliest kind of memory of being an Oxford fan? Like, what was your, do you remember the first Oxford United game you would have gone to? I do. I think one of my first memories, uh, my dad took me to Twickenham to watch an England rugby international and Oxford were playing Leicester in the FA Cup that day. And I'd never seen so many people dressed up in uh, mortarboards and gowns and stuff. <laughs> and, and I yeah. thought, gee, this, this looks good. And I remember a, a train came through and stopped in the station full of Peterborough supporters. And in those days, this was uh, the early 60s, there wasn't football hooliganism. They, they were the two real top non-league sides in the country playing uh, league sides uh, in, in the FA Cup. And I remember thinking, uh, this, is, this is something. But I did look it up specially to let you know the first game. <laughs> the 25th of February 1961 they played Bath City and they lost at home by two goals to nil wow yeah times right. have changed <laughs> yeah very much so yeah yeah what about um the first player or kind of manager that you'd consider as a as an idol who was the first yeah let's go first player that really like took you and oh, you were like right first, first player I suppose even in, in those days uh Ron Atkinson uh, uh, joined the club, and, and his, yeah. Uh, so Ron, uh, uh, absolutely epitomises what Oxford United uh, are all about. Uh, Morris Kyle, the centre half, probably the best, one of the best centre halves ever to play for for Oxford United. Uh, fortunately, injury ended his career up front. They had a centre forward called Bud Houghton. I think he came yeah. from South End. Funny enough, we were talking right then. And he, he scored a, a hat load of goals. And there was a local boy from Ensham, Johnny Love. I remember him because Ensham's not <laughs> that far from Cumna where I lived. And uh, <laughs> uh, I remember going to the first away game I ever went to. Was it was at Bath City on a good Friday. There was 8,000 at uh, Twerton Park. And in those days, the coaches used to park up uh, Lime Walk and uh, the, to take you off to an away game. I don't know how many coaches were there, 30 or 40. United took a massive following. They won 1-0. But what I remember is that Johnny Love scored the only goal. And I think it won Oxford the Southern League, that goal, uh, at Bath City. Nice. Johnny Love. Johnny well, everyone Love. everyone can remember yeah, that name now. Yeah. 
Do you say you're from? Um, you you lived in Cumna for a bit because Connor I, I'm usually Cumna joins. Born and, born and bred. Yeah, ah, I do like... live there now. Yeah, Connor, who is another another chap who contributes to the podcast, used to play for Cumna Miners, so he'd have been very right. excited about that. Ah, there you are, Cumna Miners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cumna Miners hadn't been formed when when I was playing my football. But uh, I did actually open the clubhouse for them many, many years ago, I remember. So, yeah, <laughs> and, uh, 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 they typify what local sport is all about. And for youngsters, girls and boys, it's so important to have clubs like Come to Miners that, uh, that yeah. uh, just spread spread the word. Yeah. I was pure Summertown Stars, which is ah, where Joey, Joey yeah. was. Absolutely so, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I can't think... Trying to think anybody from um, a few lads uh, made it uh, uh, United Youth, but actually from Cumnor into the first team, I uh, don't think they did. There was Robert Prattley, Young Haggis, a few of them. They didn't, but uh, you had Joey Beecham, so you're right at the t- <laughs> you're right at the top of the list, aren't you? As far as yeah. local players go, yeah. Um, before we go too too much in depth with everything yellow and blue which we're obviously going to we've got to touch on your career in motorsport and because we we often hear i guess as listeners to radio oxford like where's nick oh nick's you know nick's away he's doing his motor gp thing and then that's that's all you kind of hear but we need to understand more so i guess how long have you been involved in motorsport and where did all of that actually start out where did that passion well, start that passion that too I'm the luckiest person in the world because my two great passions in, in life, obviously in family is my greatest passion. <laughs> yeah. But uh, You're excused. The, bear You're excused. Staff, <laughs> the, the bear and ragged staff and the eight bells at Eaton are quite high up that list as well. But uh, uh, motorcycle racing and football and at Oxford United. So, yeah, I got interested in scrambling. I then got interested in uh, motorcycle racing. Mike Hale lived just over the hill from here. In Bulls Hill, I, I followed him. Uh, I went to Motorcycle News. I went to various things, and then then started traveling the world. For thirty eight years, I traveled the world, world, spreading the Oxford United word where, wherever I went. <laughs> and I can tell you, in some very great locations, I heard some great Oxford United games. I remember being in Rio, uh, in the hotel on the beach there, listening to Guy Whittingham score that goal against Swindon yes. when, yeah. when when he came uh, on loan. I remember being at Imola. I did Formula One for six years uh, when Oxford United got promotion and holding a party in the Williams Hospitality Unit. And there was quite a lot of Oxford United supporters around then from the Jordan team and the Williams team. And I'm a hell of a party uh, in Imola when Oxford got promotion under Dennis Smith. Uh, and even more recently, I remember I was in the middle of a uh, qualifying press conference hosting it in Le Mans four years ago uh, this weekend. Nice. Talking to Jorge Lorenzo, my phone pinged, say Ox United have been promoted when they beat them with so <laughs> it. It always, it always, uh, it always followed me around. And I, I got, I, I talk to people now in motorsport and they say, oh yeah, we always follow Oxford United now because, you know, you were the person who talked. Yeah. Damon Hill told me once, he was in, um, I forget where we were, Melbourne. And uh, there was a massive celebration. I think he'd won the race. And he, he called me up and said, Nick, Nick. He said, there's a bloke when they were celebrating in the middle of the track with flags on it. It was an Oxy United flag, he said. I thought of you. And I thought, <laughs> well, there you go. We're spreading the word. We, Excellent. We get a lot of listeners in very random places across the, the country so our, and across the world. So our stats tell you. So I think you might be the reason for that, Nick. You've been uh, spreading uh, the world uh, around. Uh, well, I hope so. That would be... <laughs> 
that 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 would be uh, really nice. But what was nice, MotoGP three thousand people uh, working a MotoGP paddock. So it's a massive, massive industry, and two thousand of those are football mad. I can tell you. So football was always high at the priorities. We'd always Saturday nights we'd be in a hospitality unit, usually watching a Premier Division game whenever there was any World Cup games or or, or anything else. There was massive rivalries. You can imagine Rossi at Italy and and the French yeah. and everything. Uh, it, it, it was really good. And often we got some very good footballers would come to watch some of the MotoGP races, uh, special guests, especially Spanish players, because it's, Spain is really the home of MotoGP. So well, I, I got to meet some players as well, yeah. When um, when I was I was actually looking on your, your website, Nick, and I, I didn't realise you were involved in F1 as well. I know you just mentioned it, but yeah, it was media coverage for... Damon Hill, you just mentioned Jacques Villeneuve, and it was title-winning seasons when you were covering them, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a yeah incredible time. I was there what six years. Started off in uh, just the third race that I I was working for Williams as the media manager for Rothmans, who were the title sponsors uh, that Ed and Senna was killed, and so obviously it was a very very difficult start. We went on to yeah. win. World Championship with Damon and uh, with uh, Jacques Villeneuve. So, uh, ah, incredible times. And then I was the luckiest, luckiest man in the world uh, that I went back to motorcycle racing, doing what I always really, really wanted to do. One, I wanted to do it in motorcycle racing and MotoGP, and two, commentate. And I got the opportunity when Formula One came to an end. I'm a very lucky, very lucky person. When... um... When you say you're kind of jet setting around the world, how many? I, I saw it was like 18 rounds for MotoGP. What are some of the countries yeah. that you usually go to? Or like oh. F1, does it vary every now and then? Uh, yeah, it varies. Uh, then when, when I first started, it was all in Europe, and then we started traveling a bit further afield. Argentina and South Africa were the early ones, but the last season I did 2017, we went to Qatar. Uh, we used to start in Qatar, where they were building the World Cup stadiums even then, I can assure you. Uh, yeah. They then actually now go to uh, Thailand, where they attract a crowd of a quarter of a million over the weekend in Thailand. I never went to Thailand. That was the, the year after I finished. We went to the States. We went to Argentina. And then at the end of the season, we always had the flyaways, the three flyaways, which were Japan, Australia, and we used to end up in Malaysia, the last flyaway. Wow. That was fantastic because you were ready to come home. And then the season used to normally end at Valencia in Spain. So it's 20 races. Well, it was 20 races this year. When I finished, it was uh, 18 races. So yeah. you were away a lot of the time and you missed a, a lot of Oxford United games. And I was scrabbling for scores in the middle <laughs> of the night in Japan and places, I could tell you. Yeah. I, 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 I can assure you. Yeah. Well, you can legitimately watch it on iFollow now if you so wanted to. So that's, oh, that's you can handy. now, but... Uh, I'm going back more <laughs> yeah. to the dark ages and trying to find out results. And things. But when I was working, I did a lot of work for the BBC uh, Radio 2 and then obviously Radio 5. They used, they knew uh, that I was a big Oxford United fan. So whenever I went on, they'd always know what had happened, what the result was, yeah. this, that and everything else. So, yeah, football was amazing. It just brings so, so many uh, people together. My fellow commentators... When I finished, uh, Matt Burt was a Leicester City season ticket holder. Steve Day was a, a Tottenham season ticket holder. So it was all, it, all connected all the time. Nice. Was there was there one particular date on that calendar or venue where you were just like, oh, God, not that again? Or were you just happy to go to all of them? 
I, I love the job and I love the races so much. There were certain places you got fed up with going to. Uh, yeah. We used to go to Le Mans in France, which uh, they were. It was a good race track and good massive crowd, but they were never very helpful there. It was always difficult working there. <laughs> Not some, to say some anything. Places, some, yeah, some, yeah, some places were just like that, but there was no. And there was never a time when I was away from home so much and flying off so much that I thought, oh, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Obviously, I didn't like leaving home and the, uh, and the family, but I love the job so, so much. And I, and I was lucky. And back to the Formula One days, uh, I remember the first Formula One race I went to was in uh, Brazil. I remember being at the airport. Uh, half the Jordan team are Oxford United fans. Robin Hurd was yeah. running a Formula One team who came chairman of United. They were more excited about meeting me and talking about Oxygen Idol than they were about Formula One. I was absolutely staggered. I was at Terminal 4. I was so nervous at Heathrow. And all these people coming up and just, oh, I don't want to talk. Well, I'm like 75% of the F1 teams based around Oxfordshire or something. So I don't know. Yeah, they they are. They are. So uh, there was a a lot of support. Eddie Jordan was a a big supporter. And uh, I remember he, he, oh, very, Eddie Jordan. Eddie Jordan used to come a lot and he used to bring people with him out of the blue. No tickets. Eddie would just turn up. And I remember he turned up with Jean the Lazy once and just no sat and watched way. The, uh, It wasn't a reserve game, but it was one of those funny cup games, you know, when there's about 1,200 people there. And I remember we were in, that was Brazil, and I, I was on the, the board, which I'm sure we're going to talk about, which wasn't such a yeah. happy time as <laughs> you can imagine. Uh, and Eddie said, uh, well, we're flying home tonight because Oxford are playing at Wickham tomorrow. It was the game, you know, where they hung on the crossbar and everything. And I wasn't flying out till the Monday. I was really fed up about that. And I remember he, he told me that he just turned up at Wickham. I said, yes. He said, the Harris said it was all right. They said, oh, you can come in then. And he, they, they saw the flipping game. And I was on the plane when they, when they, <laughs> and they, they, they wow. won that game at Wickham, yeah. Do you reckon he still follows the club then, Eddie Jordan? Oh, yeah, I think so. Ian Phillips, who was his commercial manager, is a massive follower of, of Oxford United. And I see him on Twitter and uh, and things. And I think I mentioned that uh, United get a promotion. He said, I, re- I remember drinking uh, champagne and Red Bull cocktails with Nick Harris when Oxford United were promoted. So, yeah, it was, yeah. yeah, there was a lot of interest. Brilliant. Okay. Um so before we get on to talking about some of the more kind of significant eras in Oxford history, which John is going to take us through, uh, we, we've got to start kind of at the beginning in terms of your broadcasting career um, with Oxford United and, and Radio Oxford. And if you listen to the Jerome and Nathan pods at all, Nick, then uh, none of this should be yeah. too surprising. Um, but yeah, I, I was reading you've been commentating on football for coming up to 50 years um, was that all Oxford United? Uh, yeah, 99%. Uh, what happened was I was uh, working as, as a rep for a company in Manchester selling football boots and training shoes and what have you. Tony Ross had called me up to his house one day and said, uh, we're starting a new newspaper, the Oxford Journal, new concept, free newspaper. Would I be distribution manager? I said, I'm really happy what I'm doing No. He offered me three times my wages in a new car. So I said, yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, within a few weeks, I started to, it was obvious that I was well known in local sport from playing. And I used to work in the sportsman, the sports shop in the uh, Cowley Centre, and supply all the United kit uh, and what have you. So I started writing columns and bits and pieces in the newspaper. So I was under Donington Bridge one Monday morning, picking up old newspapers, which was quite a, 
frequent thing to do had been dumped on a, over the weekend. And Tony Rosser contacted me and said, uh, come into the office. I went into the office. He said, uh, we want you to go uh, to Bologna tomorrow with Oxford United to report the Anglo-Italian Cup game. Bologna. Uh, we're going to ask you about that. United. I mean, you go, a pun. <laughs> and he said, so off I went. I mean, the most amazing trip, as you can imagine, uh, travelling uh, with United to Bologna. We played uh, at the, uh, the, the, the the Serie A then, they still are, in, in the stadium. Oxford, it was a nil-all draw. I'll never get after the game. Uh, Huey Curran, who was the new big signing for United, Scottish international, scored for uh, England, uh, Scotland against England at Wembley. Uh, said, we're having a big do afterwards, which... 70s footballers, that's what they did after a game, didn't they? I was phoning copy over the first time in my life back to, to Oxford and get everything organised. And Huey came back into the hotel to find me. I'll never forget. And they were half a mile away. But he said, the lad said, you've got to find Nick. He's got to come and join us when he's finished work. And uh, I did. Uh, and it set up a, a great relationship. Huey Curran and I are still good friends, but were great friends in those days. And then two weeks or three weeks after that, United played... The United done well in the competition. They we played Roma in the Olympic Stadium wow. and beat them two nil. <laughs> Huey Curran, Huey Curran scored both the goals. Yeah, and we missed out playing in the final, which I think we're gaining Rome because we'd drawn one game at home against Torino, I think. But to win in the Olympic Stadium, Rome uh, by two goals, and it was something special. Anyway, when I came back, Tony Adamson, who was then the sports uh, presenter uh, producer for Oxford uh, for Radio Oxford met me he was waiting to meet the coach from the team came in he said would you like to come working on a saturday afternoon uh make the team read the football results and i was already i was playing football regularly then for Prestile in the Hellenic league yeah. reserves to be honest with you i can't say I was playing <laughs> in the first team uh but i gave that all up and that's that's that, that's how it started yeah. reading the football results and uh, and making the team but again just that that little bit of luck yeah so, so that that initial trip was that initial trip with the Oxford Journal then? Yes, it was. Wow. Absolutely okay. was. Yeah, 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 it was. And uh, and the Radio Oxford came from then. And the first game I ever did for Radio Oxford, you see I've been, you see I've had time on my hands, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> it was 1975, Oxford I played Blackpool at the Manor Ground and the scoreline, nil-nil. <laughs> Brilliant. It's amazing you got there. That was literally the next question I had to ask. So you've got there before yeah. I could even even ask it. Uh, Jerome mentioned that it took a while for full match coverage to to come in. When did he mention it was the Tranmere 2-1? I don't remember now. Yeah, it it could well have been. I think we did a few cup games before then, but you do two free live broadcasts a year. The rest was uh, flashes, goal flashes. And I can remember him shouting down the microphone like it was yesterday. Goal at the manor, goal at the manor, goal at the manor. Then they stop the record and come over to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I used to sit outside then, next to that the press box in the, in the manor ground. You'd sit outside on the seat outside. Everybody would turn around, goal at the manor, goal at the manor. <laughs> yeah, the the there were a few cup games. Of course, the Tranmere game was, was the big game, wasn't it? And it, uh, I remember going up with Jerome and doing the game live. And, yeah. <laughs> Amazing scenes and uh, 
fantastic uh, party afterwards on the way home. Uh, I think we stopped at Stafford. I think it was Brian Horton's brother's pub or something. <laughs> the whole team and they'd stayed up. It, it, it was just fantastic. When you started covering kind of like the 90 minute games did you find I guess if you're doing like goal flashes you could be jumping around the stands if you so wanted to as a kind of fan as such so was there when you kind of got to having to do the 90 minute coverage did it was it hard and I was I've asked this to the other two guys but was there a point where you had to be like right I need to be I need to detach the fan from the professional broadcaster and work that way again i think everyone just says it's more of a natural organic thing so long as you're professional about it it just happens you don't have to think too much about it trouble is i think in those what 30 40 years i don't think i've ever separated being a fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm that hard. but yeah yeah you're right what we used to do uh when they got close to scoring goals you would broadcast it out and they would be recording back in the studio so they could play it so you were quite used to uh, yeah. actually when when it got close to a goal actually uh, doing it live so that, that that set you in good step but yeah it, it was it was hard at first and yeah yeah and and sometimes it still is to be to, to, to be honest with you sometimes it i think like any job like anything sometimes it flows like being a footballer i suppose other yeah. times you, you you're really struggling, and funny little things can really uh, upset the balance, and other things can 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 you know re- re- really set you up. Yeah. Did you have any schooling in terms of commentary, or did it again? You were just kind of chucked in. It's like go for it, Nick. Okay, now we want uh, you to yeah. to do full games. No you're problem. Probably right. Yeah, I probably was chucked into. It. I, I I followed commentary. Uh, radio commentary uh, I was always very keen on the radio and mad keen on sport not only football boxing Jay Barrington Dorby and and various people and Peter Jones and people like that coming up listening to football so I had listened but I'll be honest I don't think I'd set my uh, my sights on anybody or, or, or how it was done uh, yeah I just I just just did it i suppose (laughs) excellent Um, loud and excited yeah what about um sometimes wrong (laughs) (laughs) what what about prep um so early days preparation for games versus kind of what it's like now do you have people that kind of help you out with um some stats and stuff i think actually yeah it was jerome wasn't it who mentioned or maybe nathan as well about kind of being handed stat sheets at one point in time um I don't understand because it, it's so hard, isn't it? There's so many teams, so many players, so many yeah, transfers. It is. Um, at first, there wasn't any stats to, to be honest with you, and you probably didn't. I probably didn't do as much preparation as I should have done, and certainly do a lot more now. Now, the stats are almost at hand with the internet. I think you do a lot of work yourself. But when United play at certain clubs, usually clubs that have been in the Championship or higher. Uh, there is a stat sheet that, 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 that they give to you. And when United play any game that's going to be televised, it's unbelievable the stats that come out from the, from the, from the, from the broadcasters. So, but I, I, I always sit on a Saturday morning and try to do a, a good 45, one hour of stats and stuff just to, just to try and uh, you know, get, get, get everything in proportion and, and get it right. But, you know, when the game starts, it's so, so different. You've got all these stats. It's, it's like uh, <laughs> commentating on, on MotoGP. You've got all these stats, you've got all this stuff, and then it starts, and it almost all goes out the window because you're so excited at what you're watching and telling people. 
Yeah. I ju- I just hadn't. If it was me, I'd be like, right, number four with the shaggy hair for Peterborough, because I just wouldn't be able to. Oh God! I mean, yeah. white football boots—they for me were absolute godsend. Trouble is now, <laughs> you know, everyone's half got, wear yeah. white, others wear blue, others wear orange, you know. But white boots were fantastic at the at the start for me, uh, and good clear numbers, of yeah. course. And uh, some shirts still stripes and hoops and everything else and reading the numbers is very very hard indeed as i get older and i am getting older the old eyes were what were not what they were 30 40 years ago <laughs> you often um do half time and kind of full time summaries don't you um during yeah. coverage so you i always think how how do you remember all that stuff so are you, are you taking notes throughout the game to kind of remember the kind of key points as it's going yes. on yeah just the key points I, I don't write great long notes and it's not scripted but I, I do write the key notes and then, yeah, and, and I, I might, might just say a little comment that I, that, that I want to bring in. I've got to say, I really, really enjoy doing that immensely. Yeah. And uh, I suspect in the end, that's hopefully that's where the future will lie for me uh, as I get older. I really enjoy that. And I really enjoyed writing. I do write the preview out properly. I really am writing a, a what I hope is an interesting preview as well, which doesn't always talk about the football. It talks about where we are or what's happening and everything. Yeah. I, I enjoy that side of football and all sport very, very much indeed. And that's following United is fantastic because you go to so many different places and uh, you see so many different things. One day you're, you're in Sunderland and you can see, you know, what the industry was there and how it's all changed. You go to Fleetwood and all, an old fishing town. Then you go to Blackpool, a seaside town that's really fallen, uh, you know, for, on, on on bad times. And I do find all that side of things really, really interesting. Yeah, like the story around the, um, like the narrative around who we're playing and the opposition and that. Type. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, I, I just yeah, I, I'm fascinated by that that that, that sort of thing. Nate, you, t- you talked about following the club around, and I- one of the guys mentioned you travelled with the team on the bus for a period. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for quite a long time. I mean, John Lay and myself, John Lay was the Oxford male, and myself, we travelled with the team on, on many, many occasions. And it, it was an absolute eye opener. Uh, <laughs> Jim, Jim Smith was amazing. On the way to an away game, he was the most grumpy. Bad tempered, <laughs> shouting at the driver bloke you'd ever wish to meet. We gone the wrong way. We're gonna be late. We're gonna pressure was uh, was building for the game on the way home when they got Jim on the coach, which uh, sometimes was more difficult than you would imagine. When they found him, uh, we used to he would sit and hold court with a bottle of red wine and and yeah and. He told me lots of things that didn't didn't go any further. He told me one thing, which I should have realised at the time. He told me, you think it was after United played the last game of the season in League Two to get into uh, League One, obviously the Premier League now. They played at Leeds on the way home. We were having a glass of wine together. He told me he'd fallen out with Robert Maxon and he was thinking the oh, league. I'll be honest with you, I did not believe him. And wow. it turned out to be, to be absolutely true. But yeah, you saw uh, lots of things on... on on, on the coach and early away games. Ken Fish was the trainer. My job was uh, to go to the fish and chip shop uh, before the game and order up, get the order from all the team of what they wanted on the way home. 
I go to a chip shop and I order 30 portions of fish and chips and Bobby McDonald, no, he wants chicken or somebody wants this. And, and, I, they, and they'd have it all ready for you when the coach would stop outside the fish and chip shop for the lads on the way home. And uh, yeah, I, 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 that, was, that was often my job. Yeah. You must have had some snippets you wanted to use. <laughs> like, I guess as a yeah, broadcaster slash journalist, you'd have to be like, right, yeah, I, yeah, can't, yeah, I can't yeah. dig them out. So No, 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 no. no. There's <laughs> certain things, you know, there was arguments on the coach, obviously it was, and certain things happened. You can see that some players would argue. And, and there was the banter and the music, though, were loud and un- un- unbelievable. And uh, they used to show video, film videos then, so often we'd be stuck up that little... A road, a little alleyway that went up towards uh, the manor from the London Road in the coach. Nobody got off because they were watching the end of the film, <laughs> and it was probably midnight or so. We'd come back from Blackburn or, or, or somewhere. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it was terrific. And you've, yeah, being what, what we do, you're the messenger. You're not. It'd be very easy to think you're actually part of the team, and you're not. But I got very close uh, with, with Morris Evans was manager and with Ken Fish and people who I knew anyway through my my sports my sports shop uh, connections and it, it, it was tremendous. I I watched back the sorry I keep in, interrupting someone go go ahead. I was going to ask um when did that drift out of the game the kind of media on the bus and all that uh, sort of thing. Uh, we played at Old Trafford. And there was a certain member of the media, I won't mention, uh, who got back on the coach and he'd had slightly a drop too much to drink, I think. You know, nothing. And I think uh, I think Morris Evans must have been manager there. Yeah, it was the first year, I think, in the Premier League, uh, League One, as it was. And, yeah. But I mean, to turn up on the coach and arrive at these grounds, people thought you were a player. You know, you get off yeah, coach, yeah. Off, you know. And then Ken Fish would say to them, oh, come in the dressing room, eat it. And I'd help him lay out the kit at somewhere like Everton or someone. I mean, it was really amazing experience. <laughs> I um, watched back the 86, well, I watched back the Milk Cup final for like the full coverage, um, including, you know, Jim Rosenthal presenting at the beginning with his hat on and, so, yeah. and such. And I couldn't believe the thing that really struck me was like Morris Evans and like Alan Judge and shots being interviewed before the game it was everyone was so down to earth it was like it was incredible shot and still looked about 50 even when he was yeah. playing that game and yeah. um but alan judge was like yeah yeah it's all right yeah you know hope i don't make a mistake uh should be fine uh but it was just it was just so different to that kind of reserved um you know yeah. kind of press to player thing that you got that you get today yeah, I mean, I think all sport, not just uh, football, certainly MotoGP, Formula One, everything has changed dramatically. Social media has changed that dramatically. Uh, after the game, when I was uh, travelling on the coach, I'd go into the the, the the bar or the pub where the players were and sit there and they'd chat away. You'd hear everything about the game, things you you know you could have used that you didn't and things that were said. Yeah. They trusted you over a couple of pints not, not to, to go and... Uh, and, uh, and spoil it, and I, and I, I never did. Uh, but uh, I think it's a very, yeah, it's a very different game now. I remember the the Milk Cup final. Uh, Peter Baker, late Peter Baker, what a, what a great guy. Uh, um, picking out Alan Judge's brother <laughs> in the crowd, actually in the terraces at women, and climbing like over the fence and through the gate, actually interviewing him. Can you imagine <laughs> doing that now? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was a, an amazing. Uh, well, the whole day was amazing, wasn't it? I mean, well, so the difference now is you never forget. Yeah, you, you get Harry Kane running into the crowd and 
lamping someone instead. So, <laughs> um, before I hand over to John to talk through some of the the various eras that you'll have covered, I've got to ask you about that Tombridge Angels night. Before I forget, does that <laughs> oh, yeah. does that still stick in the memory, or have you repressed it? Oh, not at all. It really sticks in the memory. Great night. I mean, the, the result wasn't good. But the rest <laughs> no. of it was. The rest of it was fantastic. And funnily enough, my friends used to live in Tunbridge. And I went back there, well, not that long after, to watch them. It was on a boxing day. We were standing down there because played Dover, I think it was, in a game. So I actually went back to Tunbridge Angels. But, yeah, we couldn't. Nothing worked in the, uh, the little press box. So we sat on the radio ox, the roof of the radio Oxford car. Uh, me, Nathan, and, and the goalkeeper. And uh, watched the game. Put a dent in the roof. Nobody knew about <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, it was an amazing evening. What a, a super little club. You know, it was a big, big night for them. Uh, it was sad for United losing 1-0, but it, it in some ways summed up where United uh, uh, where United were in the football pyramid, where they how yeah. far they'd sunk down. And uh, yeah, it was yeah, it was, it was an amazing. I mean, Jerome was due to come, but he had terrible flu, so Jerome didn't come. And I think he lay in bed and uh, listened to it under the sheets. <laughs> <laughs> I, I meant I, I forgot to get in touch with Henry about uh, it wasn't Henry Moran with you and he had to go around and pick was. up the car and Henry. do bits of pieces. I don't think he had a driving license, but we got him driving yeah, the car. Yeah. Like, I remember that. Henry drive the car around here. Yeah, <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's gone on and uh, it's nice when you see people that had started like that at Radio Oxford, started their careers and how they've gone on and progressed. And there's, a, there's obviously a good few of them. And that, that's, yeah. uh, that really pleases me. Henry had a radio voice from the age of about six. Um, <laughs> oh, did he really? And his dad, I'm not yeah. I don't know if you've met his dad, but his dad had a no. similar voice. It was, it was uh, amazing. Um, it was made for the radio, wasn't it? Yeah. Right, John, over to you, sir. Sorry, John, I've been talking. No, to no, you. you've, uh, <laughs> you've helpfully covered yeah. parts of it. Anyway, we, um, well, we weren't going to take you all the way back to the sort of 60s and um, and 70s and, and stretch your brain too much. So we'd have a bit of a kick around the 80s and the and the 90s and sort of into the present day. But I did want to ask just a few follow-ups about the um, Anglo-Italian Cup because a few people have asked us about this and to ask you about it. And um, I mean, when I read, read about it many years ago, that Roma game, I was like, Stadio Olimpico, wow, that must have been absolutely incredible. But it was played on a Wednesday afternoon at five at 3 30 there's about five thousand fans there I mean what was it what was it like really I mean it it sort of it sounds like it was could have been this amazing spectacle but it maybe wasn't no but no uh, the Bologna game I think there was 18,000 yeah the Neil Orr game the Roma game no there was both were on Wednesday afternoons uh no there was only five thousand there that, that's right. But that, we were still in the Olympic Stadium. We were still playing Roma. And after the game, you know, I can't remember the name of the Roma manager. You know, he was very famous. Uh, so, Elenio Herrera? That's who it was. Yeah, Gone. Uh, and because they'd lost 2 0 to Oxford United, who nobody had ever heard of in Rome, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, uh, we had to lay on the floor of the coaches. We drove out the ground because they were lobbing yeah. for bricks and things. And, Actually, not, I don't think so much uh, to Oxford United. They were waiting for the Roman manager to come out and they were really going to set, set into him. I, I remember, yeah, it was an incredible occasion, but no, it was a, a small. And the stadium then, from what I remember, it didn't have a roof on then, did it? It was an open stadium. And yeah, 5,000, but still to win there was fantastic. And there's lots of clubs played in this competition. And we, we all went on the plane together, I remember. I remember there was... 
Fulham. How did you qualify New for it? Castle. I think you 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 got invited. I think you had to be at some standard in uh, in uh, what was second division then, one of the championship. Yeah. As, as it was now to, to be invited to play. I seem to remember on the plane there was Fulham, Newcastle, uh, and I think Swindon. I don't think they're on our plane, mm. but I think Swindon went on to actually play in the final that year. I, 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 I think maybe Swindon might have actually they won it. it. In yeah. one, they might have even won it. Won yeah. it in seventy-two, yeah. if my um, yeah. research Did, reminds me. Why do you say that, John? You didn't need to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, um, we've honestly gone on to bigger and better things after that. So, um, yeah, we we given up the Anglo-Italian cup. Yeah, you know, we weren't bothered about. <laughs> but it was it was amazing and to travel with the team and they 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 were they were such good fun. And uh, one more story: uh, Nigel Cassidy was playing for United and they played Torino, I think, at the at the Manor. And they didn't like Nigel Cassidy at all, Torino. And they said to him, when he comes back to Italy, they're going to tell Roma players all about him and they were going to get him. So Cass had a mystery illness just the day before um, we were due to fly out to Roma. So we never went. So when we arrived at the airport, I had long hair and a beard in those days. The whole team told the waiting press that I was Nigel Cassidy. (laughs) (laughs) Why is it going to be a rough old game and everything else? Of course, they thought it was just hilarious. Because, I mean, that's that's the height of, like, Italian... Catanaccio defending, you know, they would have been, they, yeah, would, have, they yeah. would have known what they were doing, but no, it's, it just sounds. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, Huey Curran told me they used to uh, knock you down and then pick you up, but when they pick you up, they used to pinch under your yeah. arms as they, <laughs> as they pick you up on the loose skin. Yeah. Oh, it's, it sounds yeah. absolutely, absolutely brilliant. I mean, moving, I suppose, going into the 80s, and um, I kind of surmise this, I suppose, really, I mean, it, it golden era is in some ways an, an understatement. You had that initial sort of stabilization under. Ian Greaves, and then Mr. Maxwell sort of flexes his muscles, and we'll touch on him in a, in a sec. Back-to-back promotions, and then we were playing at the highest level we have in in modern times, really the Milk Cup final. Um, and I think we beat one of our biggest wins versus Swindon during that period in, back in '82. But I wanted to start on um, what we might have been called in the '80s if certain things had happened: the uh, the Thames Valley Royals. I mean, I think we're all pretty good on the story in terms of. Mr. Maxwell's brilliant business mind coming up with the idea of merging the two teams. And I love the quote that he said about it, which was, nothing short of the end of the earth will prevent this from going through. (laughs) And and 26 days later, we all know what happened. But I mean, as an an Oxford fan, you must have been in in shock and uproar or or as many. Did Did you get any sort of inkling being in the media of what was going on behind the scenes? I mean... No, no, no inkling at all. And I wasn't there. It was, at, I think, United were at uh, Doncaster when, when, the, when the news yeah, came out, the right. old Doncaster ground. And uh, I remember Jerome telling me when the, the, that's when they first got an inkling and, and the news and then the players talking about it afterwards. I, I was away somewhere at a Grand Prix and hearing it, I honestly thought it was a, a joke. My great friend, Stuart Van, was a New Zealand motorcycle racer, good motorcycle racer, became great friends, and he was a big Reading supporter, and he he, he was equally against it <laughs> as I was, I remember, when, when, when we discussed it. I honestly didn't believe it would ever happen, but never say never, because uh, those stranger things have, have, have happened, and certainly when Mr. Maxwell was involved, uh, well, there's story after story about well, it. Well, I mean, there? Jim, some good and some bad. Yeah. Exactly. Well, Jim Rosenthal, like, <laughs> again, another quote from him. He says, 
I thought this was another far-fetched idea by Robert Maxwell to get people talking about him, but um, it actually materialised. I mean, during that period, there was the the famous sit-in on the pitch before the Wigan game. Were you at that game commentating, or? Yeah, I think I probably was. Yeah, do you yeah I mean, so do you remember I, that sit-in? Oh, I do very much. I, I a lot of the people that that led the way onto the pitch, I knew very well and had known them all my life, and still do know them. To, to be honest with you, so uh, they 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 led the the, the sit-in, and then there was a, a march yeah, was in, into town. Yeah, down to the the the, the town. Were hall. you allowed to go on the march? Uh, you know, with a with a beard and some uh, clip-on glasses or something. Probably. <laughs> oh, I, I I I'm pretty certain I did go on the march. Good man. From, from what I remember, no, I was. Don't worry, I was uh, as as anti uh, as any anybody else uh, about it. Uh, but it, as you said, it was a. Uh, remarkable era and if we'd have known now where where the money and the finance was coming from we we wouldn't have enjoyed it so much i don't think i certainly and i spoke to a lot of people about that era two successive promotions the milk cup and i think united were the most successful club in britain for three years uh, i i just don't think we appreciated it at the time exactly what was happening it was yeah. like living in a dream wasn't it you get your, <laughs> You just just couldn't believe in the, the, those cup games. I remember the the game at Old Trafford that uh, United played. Uh, they drawn at the Manor, and we went back to Old Trafford. Kevin Brock got that great free kick. Then they equalised, and uh, the, the the story goes uh, that that in those days you would uh, the two chairmen and was Robbins chairman of Manchester United then. Anyway, whoever the chairman was, you toss a coin and uh, decide where the, the third game would be played. And it was assumed by everybody uh, that whoever, if United won, Oxford United won the toss, they'd play at Old Trafford because of the gate receipts and everything else. And apparently the coin went up, it came down, it came in United's favour. Maxwell looked at the coin, turned around, went to the door, looked back through the door and said, uh, Tuesday night, 7.30, Manor Ground, thank you, goodbye. <laughs> and of course, United beat them with that Steve Biggins goal. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. That, that's that's the way it was with him and the other story about him and uh, John Aldridge at, at Newport County, if it's true or not, I don't know, but Aldridge, I think, was set to go to uh, Sunderland. And the the, the rumour, the, the, the story goes that he went down there with fifty, sixty thousand pounds in a bag, put it on the boardroom <laughs> table and said, we want John Aldridge, please. And John Aldridge came. And thank goodness he did. No receipt with that, uh, with the bag either. <laughs> Probably. Uh, no, no. Well, we, we won't get on to Dean Saunders and everything well, else after that. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, I always, yeah. every time you see those pictures of Maxwell with his Soviet style hat on, it just makes me, <laughs> just makes me cry. I mean, like you say, I mean, I think, we touched on it with Jerome about Kassam. I mean, Kassam saved the club, if you want to call it. And to a degree, Maxwell did that as well. And we had that lovely success. Yeah, but, yeah. You no. know, but it, it does yeah. ca- it caught up with us later in the early 90s, as we'll, we'll touch on. I mean, yes, those back-to-back promotions, I mean, you've already said it. It must have been absolutely fantastic. And I don't think, and it, it might have been changed nowadays, that any team's done that promotion of effectively in that in modern day terms league one to championship all the way up to premiership i don't think that's been done. it certainly hadn't been done at the time had it no, no, and, we, we definitely wouldn't, no, no. i mean we in sheffield united in must greaves, be close yeah yeah there must, must be in greaves 
had really laid the foundations for that side. He did an amazing job when he came in because the club was really on its uppers when he came and he turned that he turned the club around quite brilliantly. Of course, he fell out with uh, Maxwell and went to Wolves, didn't he? Uh, but he really had laid the foundations for when when Jim Smith came. But it, no, I, it, was, it was an amazing time. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned Ian Greaves because some of our, I'm sure they wouldn't mind me calling this older members of our sort of local supporters group um talk about Ian Greaves yeah. with making it make that exact exact point I mean I mean we could probably probably haven't got the time to fly through those in seasons individually but I mean they're very much sort of synonymous with with Jim Smith I mean what what are some of your favorite Jim Smith memories and you touched about sort of um drop of red wine on the coach any sort of particular things with Jim Smith that always come back to you and particularly obviously as we've lost him in recent times yeah Driving him home to Woodstock sometimes uh, at midnight <laughs> or one o'clock in the morning, uh, coming off the team coach, uh, the different gym from the gym on the way to the game where he was so angry, bad tempered, just uh, so absolutely on it. And Jim coming home, Ken Fish saying, sorry, lads, we can't leave the ground yet because we're not sure where the manager <laughs> is. He'd stay uh, in the coach by six o'clock, lads, on our way home. Radio, Mr. Fish, yeah, radio, okay. Everybody be on the... Where's the manager? Nobody could find him. <laughs> oh, wonderful, wonderful memories. And a uh, uh, brilliant manager as well. And the player, oh, yeah, he had the money uh, to bring players in, but uh, I, I'm, I'm still a bit the same. When somebody does well in the side and, and you're going up for the leagues, I think, oh, no, you keep them. They're, 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 uh, you, you, and there was Vinter and uh, Biggins, wasn't yeah. there? They were scoring goals for fun for United in uh, the, the uh, third division. And I remember he replaced them uh, with uh, Aldridge and Hamilton. And I thought at the time, well, that's a bit unfair, isn't it? You know, that's a, but that's foresight and a combination for Oxford United, John Aldridge and Billy Hamilton, that has never was never seen before, has never been seen since. Absolutely unbelievable combination. And Billy Hamilton hadn't succumbed to so many injuries. Uh, I wonder where they, the, the pair of them would have ended up together because they were superb together. I mean, we. We didn't really sort of, in terms of table finishing in the first division, ever do that high. I think we seventeenth was the highest, but we seem to batter so many top teams. Um, oh. You know, wins away at Leeds and Chelsea away, and and Man U in Sir Alex Ferguson's first game. There must have been some times you thought this is just one one hell of a ride, and we oh, was. Well, you know. Do you, do you remember the Everton game? Everton came, and I think they were about to win the, the Premier League, the League League One, as it was in those days. And United beat them one nil. It was a night game, and Les Phillips got an absolute cracking goal from about twenty yards at the London Road end. And uh, I'll never forget that night. And in those days, the the the, the uh, the uh, away team's coach had to reverse down Beach Road, didn't it, for the, the team to get on through the <laughs> yeah. gates at the back of the... And the whole of the Everton team, and Peter Reid in particular, I remember, with his hands, uh, his head in his hands. <laughs> uh, they were absolutely devastated. And I think it was Liverpool that went on to win the league, and it was that yeah. game that virtually decided. I can see that Les Phillips goal like it was yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I mean, turning to the to the Milk Cup final, obviously, the the biggest or one of the biggest moments in the club's history. I mean, some of us watched it first time and, and again when it was on recently. Um, did you watch it back recently or use it embedded uh, I'd in your... I had watched bits of it, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I've watched it a, a number of times. It, 
again, it was was a day you, you, you could hardly believe when they got there. Uh, it's so different to uh, comparing them now with, with the playoff final game. Uh, because just getting to Wembley in 86 was almost the goal, wasn't it? To actually play. You see, your, your beloved Oxford United and 39,000 uh, Oxford United fans play on the same pitch that England had won the World Cup, where I'd watched FA Cup finals and gone to international football. The old Wembley was almost enough. And that, that would have almost done, you know. That would have <laughs> almost done. And then for them to play they, the way they did, and Trevor Hebron to put on a display he did and win 3 0. Well, that, that was. I mean, that, that bit of. That was, Yes. Oh, that bit of commentary yeah. for for Trevor Ebers' goal. I mean, pandemonium way to the left. Wembley's gone all yellow and oh. blue. I mean, that's just just brilliant, really. I mean, I, I was watching. I've watched it a couple of times, but I always thought how well we played, and I didn't think UPR yeah. were ever ever even a threat. But I appreciate they were the bigger team at the time. I mean, when Jeremy Charles' goal went in, was how, how was that moment? Oh. I mean, just 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 ecstatic, uh, uh, amazing, and. The, I never forget the trip home. I don't. I don't think the M4 had been completed then, and uh, all the traffic was queuing up to go into down to Wheatley, and everything had stopped. It was coaches and cars and buses, <laughs> and everything was just it was like a, a, an army returning from <laughs> battle uh, of yellow and blue, and then coming down to the London Road. I remember the policeman was at the roundabout of the London Road. He was just stood there giving thumbs up to everybody. People were hanging out the windows. With flags and scarves and oh, and then the, the the trip the next day on the open top bus, of course, with Maxwell taking centre stage in his oh, of course, yeah. top. Was it a white Rolls Royce? I think it was a white Rolls Royce taking stage way, but oh, it's one. Uh, this is Headington United, uh, the, the little Southern League club who, who played up the hill. And here they were now. Uh, it, did you we were mixing with this sort of company? Yeah. Did you get to stay with the team that evening? You know, sort of. No, I didn't. No, I, I was quite sad. I, I, I would have liked to do, but they, they stayed in Beaconsfield, I think. I, I came home with, with Peter Baker, and uh, in some ways it was right, and then celebrated with people. Uh, I think at the Bear Rag staff at Cumnor, probably with people that. I'd watched Oxford United from the the sixties with, and uh, I think that was, that was probably more appropriate than celebrating with the team. To be honest with you, I mean, did you finish up on that? I mean, did you get to speak to Jim Smith after the game, sort of even informally? He'd obviously gone to QPR, and no, I didn't, didn't sort of because I was the old. No, no, I don't think. I think Peter Baker spoke. The old Wembley. I was up with the pigeons in the roof. So by the time I'd come down, I think most of them had gone home. You were so high up. Uh, but Peter Baker certainly spoke to Jim. So then I, I have spoken to Jim, obviously a number. I'd spoken to Jim a number of times later and also when he was manager uh, uh, at QPR. But uh, it was an amazing day for... It, it, the whole day, it makes me think of three people, to be honest. It makes me think of Morris Evans, who was such a, a, a great person, such a such a, a, an authority on football, such a great tactician. Uh, Ken Fish, who I'd known a long, long time, the trainer, uh, since my sportsman days, so when I used to take kit up to them, and uh, we, we'd become very good friends. And then Morris actually sending Ken yeah, Fish up to so... receive the medal uh, instead of him. And Morris's uh, uh, comment at halftime, he said, uh, this is the Milk Cup final, you won nil up. Have you got the bottle to win it? Apparently, that's all. Nearly all he said at halftime, and I thought that was brilliant. Really and the late was. Peter Baker, <laughs> the late Peter Baker, 
passed away whatnot 20 years ago as a uh, as a sports producer going with your local radio station to, to Wembley it, it it was a day that none of us will, will ever forget that that Ray Houghton goal was just oh, I I don't yeah. I I was watching similar to what you said John when I watched it back I was like actually the quality's much better than I kind of expect I know obviously these players are going down in history for the club and rightly so but you kind of I often think back oh, what was the standard like back then compared to today what was fitness like what was the quality like but actually it's just we were incredible <laughs> it's amazing it was amazing to watch John Aldridge would have scored goals though he didn't score in the final for the Ox, current Oxford United side. I don't think I'm going to go to well, score. You, um, yeah. you naturally kind of picked up on a question I was going to post you. I mean, we could talk, we can't do, we can't talk about all the players individually. It would take all, all evening. But I mean, so many of those players in the Milk Cup team, um, your Briggs, your Shottons, your Houghtons, Jeremy Charles, Dave Langans. Do you think it's, any of them do you think could have fitted and played in the modern game, if that makes sense? I appreciate it. The game's very different at physical fitness and all that stuff. But out of those players, are there any if you think they would they would fit in? Sort of. I am sure. I'm a hundred percent certain they would have fitted in. Obviously, they'd have been thirty years. Uh, yeah, the game has changed greatly. I think they would have changed with the game because they were class. Ray Houghton and John Aldridge, yeah. and obviously went to but went went to Liverpool. That they, they, they were absolute class acts, weren't they? And Trevor Hebbard's performance on that day. Uh, was was outstanding. One of the great performances of a, an Oxford United player. And I'm sure they would have adjusted to the modern game. I get asked this in MotoGP a lot as well, well, comparing the riders, comparing the players. It's a very difficult thing to do because both sports, all sports have changed so, so much, haven't they? But uh, they would have adjusted because they were class acts. Uh, if Briggs and Shotton and Gary Briggs in particular would have got away with what they yeah, were, yeah. Uh, <laughs> with the I think it's uh, very, very doubtful indeed. But uh, yeah. Yeah, they wouldn't have lasted uh, 10 minutes or 10 seconds. Uh, no, they? five, five, yeah. I think, probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, no, that's that's brilliant. Well, let's we'll, we'll trundle into the into the 90s, um, if we may. And um, kind of a different era in a way. I mean, sort of mixed on the pitch, bar 95, 96, we'll touch on, and you really sort of start to see the financial challenges coming into the side. Obviously, some of them prompted by by Maxwell's death and his businesses collapsing. And then towards the end of the year, you've got everything with the stadium and foul and the Kassam takeover right at the end. But, you know, I think there's plenty of treasured moments and lots of decent players in that. But I suppose, and you touched it on yourself, it was your a time where you were a director of the club. And I suppose I was wondering if we could start there and perhaps tell us about that and, and that, that time in your life. And I suppose if, you, if you're happy to, how it came to an end. Yeah, it was a nightmare, complete, <laughs> utter nightmare. The worst period of my life, uh, uh, apart from family deaths and the illness and, and that, 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 that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, the era started well. And um, Brian Horton was the manager, and there was a, wasn't he? Brian Horton, rather like Ian Greaves, so underrated as an Oxford United manager. He did an amazing job at Oxford United, Brian Horton. He produced a side that played some great football. And then, then we moved on, and, and Dennis and Malcolm came. And Robin Hurd came in as chairman. Dennis and Malcolm did a fantastic job, built up a really good side. Uh, Robin Hurd wanted me to be on the board. I knew... I didn't really know Robin then through Formula One, but anyway, and I said, no, no, no. I kept saying no, and in the end, he persuaded me it was the thing to do. And of course, at first, it was absolutely 
it was fantastic. Uh, I, I was on the board. The club were promoted. Uh, the, the new stadium was uh, started. Everything in the garden looked very, very rosy indeed. Uh, and then I never forget, we were coming back from Stoke City. Uh, I think it was a nil or draw. I, I, I may be wrong. And the phone rang uh, in the card. It was Robin. He said, I'm standing down as chairman of Box United. I'm still the owner. And, but everything's fine. Uh, uh, you know, we ju just carry on. So we had a board meeting the next day or the day after and it transpired. The club were millions of pounds in debt, very, very close to going out of existence uh, uh, absolutely immediately. And uh, the, the nightmare began and uh, it, it was a nightmare. I was uh, very much involved but totally inexperienced of business and finance at, at that sort of level. And I think that, that made things uh, even worse. But what I did discover, when the chips are down, I think it's like any walk of life, you discover what uh, what people are made of. And a lot of people came out of that so, so strongly. The club itself, the people surrounding the club, we didn't pay them for two months. Yeah, they were coming to work and painting the, 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 the supporters club. And then a Sunday newspaper sent food parcels in for the staff and things like that. You imagine how that uh, people like myself, an Oxford boy, born and bred, felt about that. Dennis Smith, yeah, yeah. unbelievable manager. Dennis spent all one day, I'll never forget, he's phoned every league club trying to sell a player, trying to sell a, uh, a, a player to stop us going into... Uh, going virtually out of existence uh, the, the, the next day. We left, at, uh, we were there all day. I left at nine o'clock that night. Nothing had happened. And I thought the club was going to, could go to the wall. Uh, we, 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 we really didn't know. And then I think at midnight, Keith Cox rang to say that Sheffield United had put in a bid for Bobby Ford. Yeah. And they were prepared to pay cash. And, and, and it, that, that saved the club uh, at the time. But that, that whole period, and then the uh, uh, Keith Cox obviously uh, left, and there was Jeff Kovac and myself very much uh, involved, Jim Rosenthal and David Bauer. Uh, it, it was a time when I was felt totally out of my depth. Uh, I'd never read a newspaper for, for six months. Uh, there wasn't the internet uh, in those days. And I tried to avoid people when I was in Oxford because I, I thought I'd let, you know, we were letting people down. I don't think we did let people down, and there was some horrendous public meetings more at the manor than anywhere else that were really quite scary and you, know, you feared what was really going to go on and there was two big meetings at, at uh, the town hall which were you know, I, yeah I, to, I was at one of them and, yeah yeah and but you know, the supporters and foul they, they only wanted one thing like everybody else would not seen I did survive and then Mr Kassam came along uh, it, it seemed like the right solution at the time, because he, he did have the money to save the club, which he did. In hindsight, was it the right thing? At the time, it, it, it probably was. And uh, I think in 1999, he then suggested to me, Jeff Copper, I think Morris Evans was on the board yeah. then, that we had to put our houses up for sale and uh, to invest more money in the club and this and everything. And I think we realised then that uh, we'd already lost you know, not a big amount, well, a fair amount of money paying unpaid bills to keep people ticking along, and it was time to 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 step away. And I will be honest, at the time, it, it was a big, big relief. I mean, I think you you have done a lot more than um, people realise, and I think it's it's good to be able to to talk about this sort of down the line from it. I mean, certainly there was a period 
97-98 where all of the sort of our top players were, were leaving. You know, I mean, I remember Windass coming in saying I was sold that, you know, there was 25 million to spend and, and now we can't even afford to sign a player on, on loan. So it, it sort of did very much oh, go yeah, downhill yeah, quickly. Yeah, and Robin Hood, bless his soul, uh, uh, invested everything he had in the in the football club. I think he got let down badly by uh, perhaps the banks, uh, perhaps by, by certain things. But Robin lost everything. He lost his family life. He lost his business. He lost all his money uh, because his love for Oxford United. And sadly, Robin, of course, uh, passed away uh, last year. So uh, to, uh, to, to see Robin absolutely destroyed by his love of the football club uh, in every single way. But I, I could never drive past the stadium. Uh, I just never, just the thought and, oh, yeah, it was it was a horrendous time, but we stuck with it, and we went to meetings, and we tried to 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 meet people and tried to do what was right, and never shied away from anything. But it was very very tough indeed. Yeah, God, that does sound like a difficult time. Yeah, well, were you still commentating throughout this? Yeah, this was, period? which yeah, it must be quite yeah, a, sort which, of a conundrum. Yeah, uh, was that the right thing or not? Uh, again, on hindsight. Uh, Probably, probably, yeah. yeah. It, that's the way it was. I loved commentating and I, I felt loyal to Radio Watson to do it. But uh, if it was the right thing or not, I, 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 I'm not 100% uh, sure. But there were some, you know, there were some great moments. Even in those days, there was a win at Sheffield United. Do you remember we scored a goal in the last minute? It was on a Friday night, a uh, free kick. The, the game I'll never forget was Birmingham City away. I think it was 1998. Mick Brown of course, still heavily involved in the club, had come to my house in, I lived in Farmall then, uh, into my kitchen in tears. It's going to miss the first Oxford United game for uh, tens of years, 10, 20, 30 years. He gave me all the complimentary tickets and everything. He said uh, he couldn't go to the game. He hadn't been paid for two or three months and uh, he, he, he couldn't go. And, uh, you know, we went to St Andrews. There was 25,000 people there. I think they were top of the league. Trevor Francis, you know, uh, they were going places and United beat them 1-0. And at the end of that game, I actually shed a tear. I'll never forget because it was so, so emotional. I think they came back to the manor, didn't they, later in the season and beat us 7-1 seven seven or 7-0 yeah. or something. Well, yeah, and then... But it didn't matter. didn't matter. That, that, that was done. Yeah. yeah. We'd lost a 7-0 to Sunderland away not three months before that as well in that season. Oh, it was um, quite, a, yeah. quite a funny one. I mean, I suppose talking to slightly happier Times. I mean, the 95-96 promotion, that was a, a special team that I think a lot of Oxford fans really, really look oh. back to. I mean, what were your sort of standout commentary moments from that that period? I mean, there's so many oh, to talk about. There were so many. I missed, was it Peterborough they played the, the game to win promotion? Yeah. That's when I was in Imola. I never forget. Yeah, so I, I didn't I didn't see. I've missed a few promotion games, to be honest with you, because I've been away and glued to the phone as it was in those days. Oh, there was many a standout moment. There's a game at Crewe, wasn't it, that really turned the corner for United, that they won. And Joey Beecham was back and on unbelievable. Yeah, it was very much a season of two uh, halves, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Oh, wasn't it? I mean, the start of the season, we, we, we were nowhere still in the airport. And those those corners that he'd put into the near post for Matt Elliott, they were... They were unstoppable, weren't they? They, they would put those guys I lived those to make me chuckle just watching because you knew what was coming and you, you usually find out, or the opposition found out what the outcome was 
was going to be. No, ah, it was a, a, a super side. It had a, had a bit of everything. It had a lot of Dennis Smith and Malcolm Crosby in it, didn't it? The, the, the way they played the game, the game they wanted, uh, the way they wanted it to be played. It was it was good listening to Stuart Massey and Les Robinson. They were oh, on the Stuart official Massey, pod. Yeah. And they were. Oh, where they? Stuart yeah. Massey. What a super player. It's really good to listen to. Stuart Massey talks incredible. In fact, both him and Les talk incredibly well. But it's worth giving that a listen back because they, they talk about that season. And like you said, John, they talk about how things just kicked off in that second half of the of the season and then they just never looked back. It, it was amazing. I mean, Massey seems to be such a. Not underrated, but he doesn't almost get the, the prominence he, he deserves. I mean, that bit with him and Moody at Wickham must have stand out but then oh, Elliot's goal yeah. Elliot's goal against Carlisle and I mean Joey's at Beach um Joey's at Beach and Joey's at against, Black, against <laughs> Blackpool, Black, yeah. Blackpool I mean were you there yeah. for those all those moments I mean I've no I not all those I was sitting in the Blackpool game I wasn't at no we must have been in the middle of Formula One though so I, I missed a few of those games but uh yeah, it was a side that just gelled at the right time, and they got on a run, didn't they? And then nothing, nothing was going to stop them. There was a game at Bristol City. I remember going to the game there that we won. That uh, that really, really pushed us on at the, the Ashton Gate, as it was then. I might have been on an Easter Monday. I think it was a bank holiday. I remember. Uh, yeah, just. And uh, they started the, 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 the season in the championship in good form as well, didn't they? I remember going to Sheffield Wednesday and winning there on an evening game. United were very, very close to uh, heading, uh, heading the championship. But then, obviously, things started to, on the financial front, yeah. uh, started to go wrong. Well, I mean, then, I mean, Elliot got that. Was it 1.6 million to, to Leicester and sort yeah. of all these kind of things moved on? I wanted to touch on a game that will probably get us all riled up a bit, but it was uh, the FA Cup game against Chelsea in '99. Um, oh. I think robbed is an understatement, but um, and obviously a lot of off the field pressures. But were you commentating for that one? I, I'll tell you the story. Uh, the Williams Rothmans William teams were, was launched that day in Barcelona, <laughs> and I was trying again to get back, but they said no, you can't. So. They all went home, and I sat in Frank Williams's office uh, in the in the hospitality coach in Barcelona in the empty paddock at the Formula One circuit, and managed the clever people managed to get it on the telly for me, and I watched the game from there. And I did see the penalty like it was yesterday. I was back uh, for the replay at Stamford Bridge, where again United played so so well, and Mr Zola put on a performance I'll never forget, and I thought. Yeah, that's yeah. what class is all about. But I, I missed the original game, but went. To, I can see Dean Windass scoring the goal now from the from yeah. the corner, wasn't it? Yeah. Didn't yeah. we score really? Uh, didn't Gilly Phil Gilchrist score? Yeah, very early, early on. Yeah. And I mean, there was. Oh, hang on, we could. Yeah. I remember standing up when I was commentating, and the Radio Five people telling me to sit down. I remember that when the Gilchrist goal went in. Yeah. I, I remember it being surreal. My dad was a big Chelsea fan, and he came and sat. Obviously, you know, took me in the Oxford end, but it was brilliant for me as like a little twelve-year-old or something, just turning to him oh, and yeah. watching, looking at his face. <laughs> that goal went in. I mean, but but I mean, we had good results at Chelsea, didn't we? We won there in the FA Cup earlier. Was Brian Horton manager then? I think he was. And we won there in the league as well. So we, we had some good results at Stamford Bridge. Yeah. And I mean, Sam buys the club after the sort of Chelsea replay and um, we sort of move on 
from there, really, the other thing I liked about that that Chelsea game was um, Jim Smith's comments saying, you know, full on we were robbed and that thing where Malcolm Shotton's being very diplomatic about it. And um, yeah. Frank LeBeuf later comes out and says that he tried to tell, tell Malcolm Shotton that he'll see him outside and uh, <laughs> Malcolm Shotton was ready to start a fight straight away. And um, oh, yeah. you just yeah. imagine all these LeBeuf Viales at the Manor Ground thinking, you know, you don't yeah. get this in Serie C in, uh, in Italy. But that, dead right, but, um, dead right. No, it was, you know, it was a terrible period, but that one, it brought in some very welcome finance. Uh, I mean, that, that was, uh, yeah. Uh, and it was interesting times because some good players went out, but then we brought Kevin Francis in, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, James's favourite player. The height of all the problems, <laughs> and he did an amazing job. And I, I never forget. Always after a game, an evening game, we Dennis lived in Cumnor, Malcolm Crosby lived in Cumnor, also I lived in Cumnor. We'd always go to the Bear and Ragged Star after an evening game and stay there pretty late. <laughs> and then one of the boys would uh, drive us home. Well. West Brom came with Dennis was manager then, of course, and we beat them uh, on an evening game at the Manor. And I think yeah. Kevin Francis may have scored, but he certainly was playing there. He did an amazing job for Oxford. Coming, he was sort of a part of the lightweight deal when um, Darren Purse did. Yeah, he? He going to Stockport, to, uh, Birmingham. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, funny how things all turn out. That. Uh, for all the darkness, there's always a, a little glimmer of light, isn't there? I just always, I always remember the um, protest. I think it was a like, back end of that era, sort of anti-Smith, Dennis Smith protest, and just thinking it was um, such a shame. But I mean, again, to sort of talk about some of the players that era, and just to get your sort of thoughts on some of them. I mean, there's so many to to, to talk talk about. You you know, you've got your Magiltons, Melvilles at the start of the era. You've got your Bobby Fords, Paul Powells, Moody's. Of course, Joey Beecham comes along. Um, I mean, who are your true favourites during that time and, and any moments uh, you remember you particularly loved commentating on? And, of course, any yeah. off-the-field stories, they're always good. Uh, Jim Magilton. Jim Magilton, I remember that uh, Leeds replay. Yeah. And we went to Leeds and when I think it was a it was an evening. Was it a Friday evening? It was an evening game anyway. And I was commentating with Norman Hunter. I'll never forget. And obviously, uh, what, the, the, the Norman Hunter passing away in the last couple of weeks. Uh, on that game, Jim McJilton was oh, outstanding. And I had to fly out to God, Paris, I think, for something to do with Formula One. So it was our first se uh, first season. There was a, a launch or something. And coming back to Birmingham Airport, getting the carpet on the radar, and Jim McJilton had gone. I, I remember that very, very well indeed. Andy Melville was a very, very accomplished centre-half. Paul Simpson Probably the sweetest left foot, I think, uh, from a United player, almost uh, almost ever. Uh, how United coaxed him away from Man it was Manchester City at the time, wasn't it? And he went to Derby. I'll never know, but what a player Paul Simpson was. Oh, that was amazing. And Joey on the ball, in full cry. He could take anybody on and do absolutely anything, couldn't he? And uh, to see him uh, in action and being a, a, a local boy. Was special and Matt Elliott. Well, you, you, they're just going through the team. Yeah, exactly. But, <laughs> I mean, Moody I, I couldn't have come. Paul Moody couldn't have come at a better time. He was a terrific goal scorer. I found it amazing listening to Mood, M the Moody interview that the club did recently, and he was t talking about Nigel Jempson, and he ha he hated him so much. <laughs> <laughs> and it was 
Yeah, it was amazing. I just it stuck with me that because I remember a lot of a lot of fans as well having something against Jemson, but he scored like twenty odd goals, didn't he? Oh, um, he scored goals season. for everyone, didn't he? I yeah. remember we I went to a friendly. I, I forget when it was at Aldershot with Dennis and Malcolm, and them having a fearful argument in the car coming home about Nigel Jemson. Dennis uh, Malcolm was saying, "You've got to get rid of him. He's a troublemaker. He just causes trouble in the dressing room. Then you've got to get rid of him." And Dennis was getting really angry. He scores twenty goals a season. We got to put up with the way he is. And they <laughs> all the way home, hammer and tong about uh, Nigel Jemson. But he could score goals, couldn't he? Yeah, and it could be difficult. Yeah, he was difficult. Yeah. Is it? I think I've heard on other podcasts about Nigel Jemson, but I think he's exactly you said. He was one of those where you just had to. To put up with him. I mean, the other players like I mean, Chrissy Allen. He doesn't. Well, he does get the credit, and he doesn't. But John Durnin's one that a lot of people always talk to me about and uh, like to like to be. Didn't he? I mean, off the field, are there any sort of um, escapades you can you remember particularly? Uh, whenever I used to go into Oxford, I always used to meet him. Yeah. I remember that on a Saturday night. No, <laughs> <laughs> so he lived in Whitney. I think there was a few incidents in Whitney. He was a he was a scouser, wasn't he? Uh, and he loved Oxford United, and Oxford United loved him, and he scored some very important goals. But uh, yeah, I think he, uh, I think licenses and insurance and things like that uh, probably weren't quite in his uh, vocabulary <laughs> when it came to driving vehicles and things. But a uh, uh, super guy and uh, did a good job, a good striker. Yeah. I mean, United were playing at a good level then, and he, he scored goals at that level, and he, he scored in the Scored in the Charmy again, didn't he? That uh, United uh, secured their place, they kept their place in, in in the championship. Yeah, I mean, I was well briefly touching that. I mean, were you commentating on that day? Because it was obviously the Plymouth game was delayed, yeah, was. and that that I must was. have been torture. Oh, the wait, the wait! I, I, I never forget. They went. United went one 0 down, didn't they? And then then scored two goals, and then we had to wait because I think the game at Plymouth. Had delayed start yeah. and I remember I think I was with Brian Horton at the time waiting and waiting and waiting and then hearing uh, the, the the results had gone uh, United's way it was one of the the the, 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 the great uh, moments another great moment uh, was when United played at Luton do you remember their second year in the top league and uh, all all away support was banned because I think they'd had the trouble with Millwall there so Oxford uh Went 2-0 up. It was a game they had to win to stay in League One. And they went 2-0 up. And then the Steen brothers, well, certainly one of the Steen brothers scored twice to make it 2-all. And then Dean Saunders scored the winner in extra time, five minutes into added time to make the score 3-2. And United stayed uh, in League One, stayed in the top league. And they didn't even have any champagne or anything to celebrate because... They were so, so surprised. And I remember conveying the message, really being the message, is thinking uh, all the people back in Oxford who couldn't come to a game that were listening. Somebody told me that they had their radio on and I shouted so loud it fell in the bar. <laughs> I don't know if that was true or not, but quite likely. That was a night I'll never forget. So, I mean, we've not had probably bar, I mean, I suppose only the season before last is our last kind of exciting um, dash with relegation, but before that, it's, the relegations we've had have been pretty, pretty damn miserable, yeah. really. Um, oh yeah, God, haven't they just that nice the going out of the league? Yeah, yeah. well, saying we'll, we'll yeah. dribbles us over into the kind of two thousands. I mean, I, I suppose we just really wanted to quickly touch on on the manor ground. Really, I mean, 
that truly was a, an end of an era. Were you sort of, were you there for the last game? Were you kind of sad? I certainly yeah. was, yeah. Uh, Port Vale, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Port vale, yeah. And I, I remember after the game, uh, Mick Brown, Jerome, a couple of other people, uh, Mick Brown unlocked all the gates. It was about midnight. We kind of supported them. We stood in the London Road, uh, leaning against a crash barrier and just stood there for an hour just reminiscing. And uh, I'd seen I'd seen everything, uh, everything at the Manor Ground. Great Cup wins, the Preston and Blackburn games. When they went over Swindon, when they were the League Cup holders, Oxford beat them at the Manor one night when David Sloan got was there when the wall broke and all the spectators uh, fell on the fell out onto the pitch. I'd seen crowd trouble there. I'd been in the boardroom. Just, just absolutely everything. It had to go. It's sad that the ground, uh, safety-wise, not only capacity and everything else, it, it, it had to change and, and change it did. And funny enough, I, I went to the Nuffield Hospital some time ago for physiotherapy, and I, I knew the, the the reception lady, and she said, "Do you know you come to the desk here, and more people ask one question?" And I said, "Oh yeah, that was where to go to this." And she said, "No, where's the exact spot that Steve Biggins headed that goal against Manchester United to knock him out of the cup?" She said, we got asked that more than any other question when patients come into the Nuffield Hospital. So <laughs> that's good. I remember a friend of mine, um, me and a friend, we um, snuck onto the pitch a couple of weeks after it closed and um, recreated a goal on um, on the pitch. <laughs> and um, rightly, someone shouted at us from a window to get the uh, get the sod off the pitch because um, we yeah. were, but, you know, it was uh-huh. just a brilliant stadium. And then, of course, we moved on to the... Kasam, I mean, what were your first impressions of the new stadium when you kind of came to? I, I found start? it. Uh, I found it very difficult to go to the new stadium to start with. To be honest with you, when United played their first game there, I was in hol- on holiday in Scotland and I hadn't been to the stadium at all. Uh, uh, I felt a, a little bit, uh, but I went to. I think it was an, an evening game soon after. Dear old Mick Brown took me around. I had the conducted tour, and I thought the stadium was fantastic. Then uh, I wasn't happy with three sides, yeah. but and fully, fully understood why it had to be three sides. And uh, the, the facilities in the stadium itself, I, I thought, was excellent, and it would have been a home for Oxford United for many, many tens, hundreds of year, years to come. If it is or not, that we will have to to, to wait and see. But its location, its parking. Uh, it's hotels now. Everything about it is absolutely right. Though, once another side wants filling in, most importantly, wants to be owned by Oxford United. Yeah, well, I think things could could really happen there. And, and who knows? Who knows what what the future lies? But of course, and I'm sure we're talking about it to, to come. It's it's a massive millstone around the neck of Oxford yeah, United. And no, anything in the future? No, it, it absolutely is. In whatever shape football turns into over the coming years the stadium is still is still key i mean we were keen to sort of given the um given the anniversary of the 2010 promotion final is coming up this weekend to sort of spend a bit of time kicking around on on that and jack's going to pick up on that in a sec but we didn't want to sort of gloss over the kind of the sort of atkins um wilder sort of era i mean our favorite subjects on this pod over the last two with jerome and nathan i think is the the period with the argentines I was just wondering if you could share any stories of you've had with them oh. with them when they came in i, I, I just couldn't couldn't 
believe it, to be honest, what, what was going on. They were, they were charming. You had to have an interpreter there. I'm never quite sure who I was talking to. There was uh, so many <laughs> of them. Ramos, I don't think we actually really saw an awful lot of, did we? He wasn't, he wasn't around so much. Yeah. But, but I tell you what, they, 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 they got United playing a, a, a decent brand of football. Yeah. And uh, out of the managers that Mr. Kassam had employed, before and after, they were probably the best. Uh, you know, they were, they, they were, uh, they were, they were a lot better than what we'd seen previously, and, and, and some, some after. And they, they, they did play football in a very good way, but it was, it was obscure. Wasn't was it? You, you, tremendously, what was going on? Yeah, tremendously was, exciting. Again, it was exciting, wasn't yeah. it? it? It was. Yeah, it was. Well, um, yeah. I think. Well. I seem to have. I've got a bit of a vendetta against Brian Talbot, but he was definitely the worst period of football I think I've ever watched us under. I mean, <laughs> yeah. while what Jim Smith comes back, I mean, obviously that must have been a nice moment, particularly for yourself. It um, was, but you know, I, I, I will be honest with you. Sure. Right from the word go, I thought it was a big mistake. I know. I can know. I, I can see. I can know what you mean. And I, that sounds like somebody talking in hindsight, and I, I surely it wasn't. I, I don't think one Jim particularly wanted to come back. To be really honest. And two, I, I think it was almost a step backwards. I, I understand 100% why it was done, to the, the interest and, uh, and everything else. And Jim is, a, is an icon of Oxford United Football Club. But I, I, I didn't think it, it was the right move. And uh, uh, well, as things turned out, of course, United did, did go out of the league uh, that, 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 uh, at the end, uh, end of that season. And... Uh, it was it was a difficult period, and uh, I, what I'm really happy about it didn't tarnish Jim's reputation no. with Ox United in any way at all, did it? And uh, no. I, I'm so so pleased about that because what he did for Oxford United in that that period of uh, time that, as I say, at the time you just couldn't believe it was happening. You you go to a game and they play in the Championship, the old League One. If they only won two one or two nil. People would go, and they'd be disappointed. They go, well, I wasn't very good, was it? Why didn't John Aldridge get four? You say you know? didn't know what you had. That you, yes, exactly right. Well, I mean, I mean, you didn't know what we had. Briefly yeah. on com, I mean, comment. So it's more of a commentary question. I mean, did you enjoy the conference era in terms of that different experience? Obviously, Tunbridge Angels uh, we touched on, but I mean, I, I, Ebb's Fleet. Yeah. As I say, I'm always interested in going to places, and I love little football yeah. clubs because yeah. I'm always interested to see uh, how they survive, how what, what they do. And we went to some amazing places. I, I found it quite an adventure the first year. Yeah, I think we all you know, did. <laughs> sure we, yeah, you know, we went to some very history. I loved you know, it. The, the village, village club, but there we are, and. Uh, all these different places, uh, Dagenham and Redbridge, oh, did, did so many different ones. And we were the big boys, weren't we? We used to and, and be honest, the half, yeah. in there. about <laughs> 10 times as many fans as they did, and this, that, and that. And we were running away with the league. And, uh, you know, it had been done with Carlisle, I think it had been done uh, with Shrewsbury. They'd done it in a year, and they, they got out in a year. And I remember people that I think it was Shrewsbury telling me, You've got to get out in the first year, mm. you don't get out in the first year. You're going to struggle. Of course, United didn't, and then I, I think it it it. it I never forget we went to Eastbourne Borough and lost, and I think the next game for United was probably or it might have been the playoffs. It was Wembley. I remember the contrasting the two when uh, just before <laughs> the playoff. I know you're thinking, oh yeah, but we went to some rare old places, but met some 
great people and real, real football, you know, proper football clubs. Ebb's Fleet and <laughs> oh, places like that. You know, you would never believe. But these clubs, they they, they survived and they thrived in, in many, many ways. And uh, I, I really admire them and I, I enjoyed going to them for a year. And That's the like, thing. Oh, I think you <laughs> you hit the nail on the head there. I think we all thought it was, was interesting and a bit novel, but it sort of second and third season, it starts to get a bit more... Um, more desperate and a bit more important. And I think that nicely brings us to the 2010 promotion final. So Jack, if you want to dive in and sort of um, take us through this bit. Yeah. So Nick, you touched on that, the kind of 86 final, we were all just a bit happy to be there. You know, it was a bit of a day out to enjoy. Um, Obviously 2010 was more about getting the job done. Did that really kind of come over to you in the build up to the game for 2010? How key this was for Oxford United? It, it did, but nothing like as much as when it actually happened. And I sat down and thought about it. And <laughs> probably, I, I honestly feel that's the most important game Oxford United have ever played, yeah. that, 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 that final. Because I think there was a lot of problems at the club, financial problems and, and other problems. And I think if they hadn't got promoted, goodness knows where 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 the, where the club would have uh, got to. And Going to the new stadium, I never forget. I'd only been, to, I'd never been to see a football match at the new Wembley. I've seen Oasis, I think, and uh, can't remember a lot about that, as you would probably imagine. And to go there, and there was thirty-five thousand Oxford fans there for a, you know, a conference playoff, and then the two early goals. I commentated on them both, and sitting back and thinking, "Hey, we're we're in here." And then the goal just before half time, and then commentating for a really worrying second half, and then Alfie Potter's goal, and Jerome's absolutely brilliant commentary about being back on the coupon and, yeah. and everything else and uh, but I, to be honest with you it's only when I reflected on it perhaps a day later rather like we went out of the league I, I was numb when we went out of the league it was only the day after I remember sitting in a service station on the M1 somewhere going somewhere and it actually then hit me I was sitting in the car and thinking we're out of the league no 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 and we're back in the league didn't hit me till probably the day after but what an important game and what a showing by Oxford United fans of uh, the, the support for the club to send to take so many people to that game. It was a brilliant, brilliant day. You touch on that kind of realization. Maybe took you know twenty four hours to were back in the league. So in terms of the game itself, out, outside those main moments, and obviously you commentated on the first two goals. Do you remember too much of the game or were you just kind of swept along in work mode? I mean, the, the, the oh, jubilation oh no, in your voice for the first two goals is just fantastic. Oh, yeah. I, I remember really getting nervous in the second half, commentating. And actually, when you commentate, it takes a lot of those, those sort of nerves away from you because you concentrate on very hard on what is going on. But when I'd finished the commentary in the last 22 minutes, went to Jerome, I remember. And I sat with Rosie. And Rosie and I were really really worried because uh, <laughs> York could have come back into it, couldn't they? It, it wasn't safe. And then I remember at the end of the game, Rosie in tears yeah, yeah. sitting next to me. It was very, very emotional. There, there was um, one moment where Rankin, I think he was called. Yes. It, the ball yeah. just dropped to him. And oh, I, 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 I even remember what I did in the, in the, yeah. the ground. I think I just dropped to the floor and I just could barely, <laughs> I couldn't get up. He, he had to score. Every oh. time I watch that back, I'm convinced he's going to score. It was that kind of yeah. situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, it, 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 yeah, and then Chris Wilder sliding on the touchline. 
just everything. And and the and the bus trip. I, I think I've been on every one of United's bus trips, open top bus trips. That was one of the, obviously the milk cup was fantastic. And uh, in the early days, when they won the third division, the second division, we used to go all round Ox, and we were going off the Blackburn <laughs> leagues and Art and Emery used to take all day, and the players would stop at shops and buy more beer, and off we'd go. And go, yeah, we've got. But I think that trip coming into Broad Street, yeah. uh, and the bus turned into Broad Street, and seeing so many people there for a non-league football club, just going crazy. It, 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 yeah, it made the hairs on the back of your neck stand on end. In I was standing with Jim Rosenthal, who you know was the first person ever to take me to the Manor way back in what was it, nineteen sixty-one. It was pretty special, I can assure you. Yeah, I remember being there, and I said on one of the previous pods that we've done that I just I just walked out of work because you know I'm not going to get that opportunity too too many times. So I just remember strolling along, and I just could not believe the the crowd that was there on Broad Street. Yeah. It was nuts. No, it, it yeah. was yeah, and it. It's what this football club is all about, isn't it? It, it? You know, we're biased, but it is a very, very special football club. Um, it has some very, very special fans. And uh, people who don't get football or get what fans are about and get what Oxford United are about, I, I feel quite sad for them because it yeah. is a very, very special feeling and a, a, an amazing bond, isn't it? That just bond you together. You can fall out, you can argue, but that's, that's half the fun, isn't it? And, uh, I enjoy as much as anything these days. My mates pick me up after the game. We go to the Seacourt Bridge in Botley. We sit in there and it's mostly Oxford Night fans. And we have a good old chinwag <laughs> argument, a couple of pints, watch the games that are usually on on the telly. And oh, you, know, you think, yeah, that, I'll tell you what, I've missed that as much as anything. That's yeah. why Jerome, Jerome was saying that's why he thinks uh, Carl Robinson really loves Oxford because he can yeah. sense that relationship between the club and the fans, which is, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. I think Carl Robinson really does get Oxford United. He gets the community. Uh, he, he really understands what it, what it's all about. And he, he, he embraces the whole club. And I really, really admire him and, and, and like him for that. And uh, he, it does involve everybody, and he, he understands what a football club is, is all about. Are you going to be watching the game on a Saturday afternoon for a bit more uh, nostalgia? I think the club are re-showing it. Yeah, probably, yes. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, yeah, 100% I will be uh, watching it, and uh, I think we're doing something on Radio Oxford tomorrow night, a fan forum as well, so that, 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 that'll be interesting as well, although I think... There, the decisions being made tomorrow, I'm told. I don't know if he's done, you know, about exactly what's going to happen with the EFL and everything else. So uh, it's going to be quite a day tomorrow, I think. Exactly where the future lies, and I have not got the faintest idea. I don't know if many other people have either. No, it's um, there's a lot of variables on the on the table, and I think we're. Yeah. Well placed into with certain options if they come off and go that way, and um, but then again it could all move quite quite quickly. I mean, I think we'll let's just sort of tidy up on the on the end of that sort of era and up to the the current day. Really, I mean, Wilder obviously leaves and we go through a period of kind of relative stability. Appleton comes in, and I've all, I always remember the sort of when Appleton finally got going, the kind of the the football got a lot got a lot better, and you start to see that sort of building of something kind of happening again um 
did you and it, you know and we were winning well obviously the 2015 16 promotion did you kind of really how did you find that period i mean it must have been great to commentate on when the good times oh, are going uh, it's it, 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 it makes a big difference, I assure you. And I thought Michael Appleton did a fantastic job. Daryl Eels did a good job coming in as he did then yeah. and changed the club and he gave Michael Appleton the opportunity. And then uh, the, the clever uh, way they brought players in initially on loan and then uh, signed them on, uh, the Lundstroms and the Roofs and, uh, and others, I thought were, were, was brilliant. And he, they brought some very good players on and brought them on. Michael Appleton definitely brought their football on. And that, 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 that registered and it was shown on the field the way United played with promotions. Some great cup games, wasn't it? That, that, that Swansea game uh, in particular. Uh, it was a, it was more like the old days, and I think everybody felt that the the old days had a, a re returned. And uh, I think it was sad, but probably the right thing for him, and perhaps even the club. I don't know about the club, but uh, Michael Appleton moved on, uh, and obviously there was a few ups and downs after that. But uh, and now uh, Robinson's come in, and uh, after a bit of a bumpy start, uh, I think he's. He really understands what the club's about. And I think he's got the players playing some great football. And they have continued in the, the, the same way of uh, bringing players in on loan or getting players uh, uh, comparatively cheaply and selling them on. And like it or not, the club are going to survive in, in its present form. Uh, that's the way it's got to be. Because without that, United won't survive. And uh, they've done some very, very good business. And nobody likes it at the time. Nobody likes it at the time. But uh, it, I'm afraid until the ground is owned by Oxford United, until there's a real stable financial footing, which I think they're working very hard to do, uh, that's that's the way it's got to be. Yeah, I think there's a the model is there. And I think it feels like we're on the, the cusp of something. I mean... Just to touch on players in this kind of era, who have been some of your particular favourites that you've enjoyed? Uh, Roof, yeah, I thought was fantastic. He, he was, uh, yeah, he was scoring goals of fun, fun at the, at the end of it. Uh, I loved Hilton, yeah, he was completely bonkers. Yeah. Never knew what he was going to do. <laughs> and some great goals, didn't he? I, I really liked uh, Danny Hilton. It was a pleasure to commentate on because. You never knew, uh, you know, what, what, what was, uh, what was, uh, yeah. Shandon Baptiste in recent times uh, uh, obviously had a, a lot of injury problems. And then we went to Sunderland's first game of this season and he played there. And I'm thinking, wow, yeah. this is somebody who looks special. And I was very sad uh, when he went to Brentford. I, I, I was hoping that he, he could have stayed on a little bit longer at Oxford to, to really blossom. But uh, I think he's gone to a very good club and I think he do very, very well there. And I think we're hearing a, a, a lot about it. But, you know, the whole side is very stable now and uh, you know, well organised. Everybody knows what they're doing. Uh, there's cover. What I think Carl Robinson done is he's got covering uh, in most positions, isn't he? No, he, he, they've done a, a really, really good job. And, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens in, in the next few weeks. It, it's not only Oxford United, I think it's football in general. And certainly football at our level in general is going to be interesting yeah. times because I think there have got to be changes. I think 
it's got to have a long hard look at itself and realise it can't continue in the same vein uh, with uh, players' wages, agents, everything is, is you know all the way through even to non-league football now. They've got to look more carefully at themselves and work out you know, a better way ahead. If what's happening now will do that, or if we just go back to the old ways. I, I honestly don't know. And it's incredibly difficult for the people making the decisions because even in, in our league, you're dealing with Sunderland, Portsmouth and then Accrington Stanley, aren't you? And the, the, the difference in the way the clubs are run and their finances and everything else, the chalk and cheese, yeah. making decisions for uh, different clubs is incredibly hard. I mean, do you, do you have any sort of particular thoughts on the options being banded around or are you kind of like the rest of us honestly void does that mean that the, the, the positions will stay the same and also will get promoted playoffs between the top six or just normal playoffs do we try and play I think time's running out to probably run the whole fixture list I can't, yeah, can't really see that happening the, yeah. the Premier League say they're going to do it but I mean that's stalling a little bit isn't it uh, yeah. It looks like it's going to be if the one that's banded around that benefits us is like a weighted um, points per game model, which yeah, the home right. and away um, results and then calculates all of that together, and then then we can we stay on in third place. But yeah, like you said, the other option is that as we know, we, we were talking before we started, weren't we, about the South End chairman saying, "Please just void the season, and we'll yeah. you know we'll we'll start again next year in League One if that's all right." <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a lot of hard work going on for that to happen, isn't there? Is that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing, isn't it? It's like we had those results, Lincoln away, 6-0 record yeah. win and being, you know, doing the double over Southend, which happens once every yeah. 600 years or whatever it is. And, um, Josh Ruffles, his goal at Shrewsbury could be yeah. already important. Statue yeah. outside Just, the ground if we, if we end up going yeah. up off the, off the back of that. Yeah. 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 So, but something's got to happen soon, I think. Uh, but... It, very easy for me sitting here in Cumnor looking at the sunset saying that. <laughs> Jack, <laughs> were you... I haven't got to make those sort of decisions, yeah. Jack, were you say you just kind of put in the notes that maybe the EFL have made a statement tonight, is that right? Yeah, it looks like they've kind of made a statement that essentially says we're still sorting it out. Um, <laughs> I think there's supposed to be a kind of meetings with League One, League Two clubs today and t- uh, sorry tomorrow, Friday. So whether this is just kind of a holding statement, but they seem to talk a lot more tonight about um, the long-term impact on the league and its clubs remains as stark as previously outlined. You know, playing behind closed doors will not rectify that situation. Um, it's, so it's, soft, the, it's softening it up to say that we're not going to play the games. Massively, yeah. And then yeah. the, playoff, the yeah. playoff dynamic yeah. is one that might come about. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting to see. I think we played it well as a club to say, look, we'd still want to play knowing that in our back pocket is pretty favourable options in terms of PPG yeah. and, and so on. But um, I think you're right, Nick, that time's running out for um, a season either way and there will be winners and losers. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I think so. And I, I checked like Jack did and, yeah, it's a holding statement, but nothing. But uh, there's got to be some decisions uh, made soon. I mean, it's a situation that is unbelievable, isn't it? We've never found ourselves in. Uh, before and uh, you've got to yeah. use the word unprecedented, Nick. That's <laughs> what everyone else keeps saying. Oh, I like that. What we have, probably can't pronounce that fully. So, <laughs> yeah, unprecedented, yeah. But uh, well, then when does the new season start? Oh, you, you can go on and on and on about it, yeah. can't you? Yeah, 
Shall we um, put the crystal ball down and do some quickfire questions to uh, wrap this this one up? Final thing, though, in terms of the Carl Robinson era, Nick, and this season especially, we've kind of asked it for various different seasons, but any particular highlights from this year? You know, I've talked a bit about the Lincoln game there. Was the, Do you think we were destined, you know, we were the form team across all the leagues, I think, um, five wins in a row? Do you, you know, do you think we were heading in the right direction? Do you think promotion was on the cards? Very much so. Very, very much so. And uh, even when they didn't play very well, they were winning games in that, mm. I think. There was a, a South End at home game. Coming back at Shrewsbury was pretty good after they were 2 0 yeah. down and looking very poor indeed. I thought the win at Ipswich was brilliant because Ipswich are a good side. And Oxford had to soak up a lot and handle a lot in the first. Uh, and then Matty Taylor got the, the sort of goal that Matty Taylor gets. And then yeah. I thought United was superb at Ipswich. They looked. Such a professional, well-organized side. Sort of side you hate watching when they come to brilliant, the yeah. brilliant defense. You know they, 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 you know they mean business, don't you? And yeah, obviously the six 0 at Lincoln was very special. But for me, Ipswich, and I've always been a bit of an Ipswich fan in the you know, the era, years, years gone by with Robson and the Dutchman coming in and everything else to go there and. Do a job on them, I thought was fantastic. I'm glad you said that because it's. I think it's my key. I was at the Lincoln game and it was my birthday weekend. So that sticks oh. true. But otherwise, yeah. that, that Ipswich away game and that, it's the second half especially, wasn't it? Because yeah. we just absolutely bossed them, frustrated them to hell. They got Didn't they get a player sent off right at the end? Yeah, but, they did right at the end. We, um, we looked like a side going places, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, right, yeah, we finished off the Jerome and Nathan pods with a quick fire round. So, Ooh, are you right, ready? God. All right. <laughs> right. Uh, so, question question one: worst or most demoralising games covered? Or yeah, I think that's it. I was going to say grounds then, but I think that's what I mean. Uh, games two come to hand. Obviously, the Orient game when United went out of the league, but earlier that season. They went to Stockport County and lost 2-1. And And I think that was probably the most depressed I've ever been. I did an interview after the game uh, and just everything about it. Uh, I knew when we got in the car to drive back from Stockport from Manchester that almost definitely United were going to go out of the league. I just knew in my bones and it was a pretty bad feeling, I can assure you. Yeah. What what did we have from the other two? Droylston was... Jerome's, what was Nathan's? Yeah, I didn't do the drills, and yeah, that was pretty grim, wasn't it? Yeah, I can't remember Nathan's now. It was the game with David Oldfield that he commentated on that rushed in, rushed in, rushed in, rushed in 5 0. Yeah, oh, we went with 3 0 down in about (laughs) yeah, Yeah. 10 minutes. I remember that game, yeah, (laughs) right. Question two, what about um, kind of top of the pile? You kind of must have touched on it. But if you had to pick one, one memorable match or one memorable moment as a commentator, what what would it be? Very, very, very difficult. Les Phillips against Everton. Uh, Dean Saunders at at Luton that gave Oxford, kept Oxford United in the Premier League, in in League One. They stand out a mile. Uh, David Sloan's goal, uh, Swindon came. They were the League Cup holders, you know, the Milk Cup holders, whatever you want to call it. They beat Arsenal in the final, you remember, 1968. They came to the Manor on a Wednesday night or Tuesday night, and United beat them 1-0. David Sloan, I think it was a header from David Sloan. He was about three foot tall. So that was that was pretty special as well. So I, I think those are three that I would think about. Yeah. You've got to think about the Milk Cup. You've got to think about Alfie Potter's goal at Wembley as well. <laughs> 
You're cheating. <laughs> I am. <laughs> already. Um, what about least? I like this question. Least favoured away grounds. In recent years, Northampton. Uh, it's the same ones, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, there's a thing. Yeah, Northampton is a horrible, horrible place to work. You can't move. You're trapped in. <laughs> they turn the lights out at half past five, and me who can't see in the dark—that's a nightmare. I have to get torch out and wander about. Yeah, Northampton, pretty bad. Northampton, yeah, yeah. yeah. What about the the opposite? The best, you know. What do you look forward to, and you think, oh, this is. I think was it Nathan saying MK Dons? You get well looked after. You get a nice yeah. splash meal. Uh, um, MK Dons is good. You, you do find, to be honest with you, when you go to clubs that have come down, Sunderland, Middlesbrough, yeah, that uh, you get very well looked after indeed. I got to say, when we used to play Newcastle and beat them so easily in the 80s the press corps used to come down and used to mock the manor and the facilities and they'd flown down with the team and I, I really got to dislike Newcastle because of that and we went up for the FA Cup game this year they were fantastic as a club a great commentary position everything about it they're friendly helpful really really impressed me and I came away thinking what a super football club and they really treated us and they treated United uh, the, the, the way it should be so Newcastle especially uh, a super place to go to excellent most this is a new question I don't think I put oh, this on okay, here right. most friendly opposition manager <laughs> oh my golly is it Graham uh, Wesley it's the one that's the most unfriendly I can tell you that one <laughs> most friendly oh my god on I got him well with a few. Ray Graydon, when he was manager of Bristol Rovers, because he'd been at Oxford course, before. Yeah. I remember how friendly he was and uh, took me in the Bristol Rovers dressing room and met all the team and, uh, and everything. Yeah, Ray Graydon at Bristol Rovers. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. And what about commentate? You know, we talked a bit about... Um, Who's the most unfriendly right? one you were about to tell us? Most? Oh, oh well, my very early days, Mr. <laughs> Naive, uh, might have even been that first year when I did the Blackpool game. Oxford played Sunderland and Sunderland were due to go up into the oh, into League One, into into the uh, Premier League, as it was then. Bob Stoker was manager, and United scored a goal right at the end. Might have been Derek Clark, I think he scored it, to win 1-0. I missed the super keen, third game for Radio Oxford, knew it all. Ran on the pitch and up to Bob Stoker and said, uh, uh, can I have a word, you know, what do you think about the result? And he said, you can stick that microphone on, I won't tell you the rest. <laughs> you can probably imagine uh, what he meant. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, what about um, if you had to pick a favourite commentator? You can say Jim Rosenthal Ooh, if you want. The, the football commentator, uh, I'd probably go back radio-wise. Peter Jones, I think, uh, in, in the radio days. Television-wise, Oh, the, 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 there's a few I like. I probably should say Jim Rosenthal, really. <laughs> it wasn't so so much. A, there's been there've been some great commentators. To, to, yeah. to be honest with you, which I've really enjoyed. Jerome Sale, Nathan Cooper, and, <laughs> uh, Robin. Yeah. yeah, and Robin. That's what. That's what. Yeah. That's I was what waiting for that. Right. Yeah. Top top three managers for Oxford. Wow. Right. Um, or just three. Uh, or just three, yeah. Jim Smith, Brian Horton. Oh, golly. <laughs> Dennis would kill me. Don't tell Dennis. <laughs> he Greaves. won't listen. Ian Greaves. Ian Greaves. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. And fi- finally, top three 
Oxford players? For personal reasons or just on pure just playing? just just personal. What it means uh, to you, what they mean to you. Right. Huey Curran, because we became great friends, and Huey came and really looked after me when I'd started my career. You know, he'd come down from playing in European Cup finals and playing with Scotland, and uh, he was fantastic. And uh, I'll never forget him for that. Uh, you've got to say Ron Atkinson, really, because he took Oxford from a little Southern League club playing up the hill in Headington into the Championship, and it was him that, that uh, did that. And then, golly, what are you going to do? That's Joey, Joey Beach, John Aldridge, and James Constable. <laughs> one of those is pretty difficult. I think yeah. for sheer class, I think you you can't leave him out uh, for for sheer class. Probably the classiest player I've ever played for Oxford United. I think you got to say John Aldridge. John yeah. Aldridge was. You don't pick up many John Aldridges uh, on on that journey. I'm not Absolutely. saying the ones I picked are the best players. They're yeah. the ones that really influenced me. Yeah, brilliant. Right, that is. Wow. I think. I think that's about it, Nick. You'll have to hang on just after we wrap up, um, and the outro music goes. We'll have a. We'll have a quick chat then. But no, um, no problem at all. Thank you very much. That concludes our BBC Oxford specials for now, and we'll have to see if we can get Selfie and Rosie on at some point. Um, and maybe actually, I've, I messaged Jim Rosenthal, Nick. Maybe you can have a word for me. I was trying to see oh, if I, I can lure yeah, him I'll, on. I'll, I'll have a word with him. Good, yeah. good man. <laughs> Works, Excellent. Yeah. Um, but gen- genuinely, Nick, thanks for everything you do um, for all of us as Oxford fans, because as others have said, when they've reacted to the kind of Jerome and Nathan pods, we're, we're so, so lucky to have um, you and the team there week in, week out, because the coverage is just second to none. So a huge, huge thank you for everything you do to the club, for the, well, for the club and for us as fans. That's uh, really kind of you. I, I say I'm the luckiest person alive and I'm the messenger. I'm not uh, the man that's doing it out on the field. But a uh, lot of credit should go to Jerome as well, who puts those programmes together. They really are his brainchild. He's done yeah. an amazing job. And it's an, uh, I, I'm older than a lot of people there now, but I'm treated with a, a lot of respect and a, a lot of fun. And uh, it, it, it's, it's a great way to spend a, a Saturday, I assure you. Excellent. And finally, I, I took a quote from your website where, where it says, the day the passion and enthusiasm goes out of my voice commentating on what I'm watching is the time for me to call it a day. And that day is a long way off. And that's what we want to hear. So is that still the uh, case? Yeah, very much so. It may alter slightly. As I say, you get older, your eyes aren't so good. So perhaps more summarising, more of that sort of work, which I really enjoy. But I can't imagine a Saturday afternoon. Well, I Maybe right at the top yeah. of the south stand. Yeah, yeah, that would probably be about it. But uh, I don't think that's quite come yet. But uh, yeah. nah, it's been a what other journey? What 1961? What are we now? 2020? Go nearly 60 years, isn't it? Yeah. Well, uh, an amazing journey that, uh, yeah, as I said before, if, if Oxford, you know, if yellow blood flows through your, uh, your veins. There's nothing you do about it. Accept it and enjoy it. Yeah, for sure. Right. We'll wrap up there. Thanks, um, thanks, chaps. And obviously, thanks, Nick, again. Thank you very much. Thank you all very much indeed. It's absolutely a privilege. (laughs) 